Welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. Uh, my name is Clay McCormick, and with me is the co-host... Sean Murphy. And we are here to talk about Batman. And so wait, wait, wait. If I'm the co-host, does that make me number two and you're number one? No, we're both co-hosts. I believe that's how it works. So technically, I should say, I am your co-host, Clay McCormick, and with me is my co-host, Sean Murphy. All right, I think the uh, the tone of your voice makes it sound like you're in charge of everything, though. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe take it down a notch. Okay. All <laughs> right. <I'm> kidding. <laughs> oh man. I also control the editing, so. Uh... <laughs> oh man. Anyway. So yeah, uh, let's get into this, man. Yeah, I'm today excited. we're going to be talking about two episodes, like we always do, and the episodes we're talking about today are "I've Got Batman in My Basement" and "Heart of Ice." And uh, actually, one thing I, I did want to mention before we start is uh, 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 we had – oh, fuck. Now I completely forget what it was. Um, there was something we talked about in the – oh, I remember. Okay. Before we start, I wanted to talk about one thing, uh, kind of touch on the last episode, our Two-Face episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean, you had brought up uh, – we were talking about Two-Face's uh, backstory and why it was kind of you know right, not right. that great and how the coin didn't really play into it. And you were saying uh, it would be cool if if the coin played into the abuse that he f- got, had at the hands of his father or something like that. Um, right. I don't know if you're reading uh, if you're reading the book you'll be drawing soon, <laughs> uh, but that actually sh- uh, Scott worked that into All Star Batman. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've just yeah. read the third issue, and there's flashbacks where Two Face's father is doing that kind of thing, where it's like you know. Heads, you get the belt, and tails, you get the you know oh, the stick or something like that. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad he did that. I did not. I did not tell him. So he must have, <laughs> he must have figured it out on his own. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. It it really. I mean, it instantly adds weight to the coin, which is it, it yeah. works. It works really well on its own. But yeah, yeah. You know, it's nice if it has a little bit behind you know, it. But can I say this is the this is the fourth time I've had an idea and then rent, run it by Scott in some way, and he's already done it or is currently doing it. <laughs> It's to the point where I don't even want to tell him my Batman ideas because he's going to – he won't take it, but he's probably already using it and probably already thought of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I reveal by, by telling him something he's already done, I've also just admitted that I don't read his books all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not have him as a guest. <laughs> yeah, let, that's right now we're going to say Scott Snyder will never be a guest on this podcast. <laughs> Scott, if you're listening, please be a guest on this podcast. Uh, Scott, we, we could use a new co-host besides Sean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so we're going to start today with I've got Batman in my basement, which mm-hmm. was, uh, let's see here, it was directed by, uh, it's too much to scroll down now, I'm losing my place. Um fuck it was directed by frank power and written by sam graham and chris hubble and Mm. in it during a fight with batman over a stolen faberge egg the penguin incapacitates batman with poison gas the dark knight is rescued by a teenage amateur detective named sherman grant and his friend roberta 
who hide Batman in Sherman's basement long enough for him to recover before the Penguin finds him. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, because we're a little bit different in age. You're a little bit older than I am. But I don't know if this is uh, something that transcends age. But what is it about being a detective and, like, spy gear when you're a kid? Mm. Because I was watching this, and it starts off with – this character Sherman uh, showing off his amateur spy kit. And I was just immediately transported back to the age I was when I saw this the first time thinking, yeah, man, that's the shit that I want. I want that spy stuff. Yeah. They used to have a line of toys um, that sold spy gear and it was like, you could record from across the room or take pictures. It was uh, back in like the late, 80s or mid mid 90s maybe somewhere in there yeah they had uh i remember the two things i had was uh i had a pair of sunglasses where um the corners were mirrors so you could look behind you those things were great weren't they bright yellow too yes they were yeah they were (laughs) like neon yellow that's not very not very spy (laughs) it's not a spy color you know know what though they were fly though (laughs) Uh, and the other thing that i had was it was a camera that looked like well it didn't look exactly like it because it was very thick because it was a an old camera that used full-size 35 millimeter film but it was a camera that was made to look like a package of reese's peanut butter cups oh nice which you know if if it's among about uh, some other things could look uh could look inconspicuous until you're raising it to your face well to take a picture (laughs) but you know like the commercial says there's no wrong way to eat a reese's (laughs) I don't know if you remember a little film called True Lies. When, oh, uh, do I? Schwarzenegger has, basically has those same glasses, and it's not uh, That's right, yeah. his camera, but it's a pack <laughs> of cigarettes. And uh, it's essentially the same technology, I would argue. Right, yeah. But yeah, I don't know what it is. Like that, and also the other thing is detective agencies, too. Uh, like, it's something about that age. Uh, like, when I was a kid, I remember after I saw Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, right. and all my friends saw that, we were like, you know what we should probably do? is start a pet detective agency. <laughs> and that lasted for about 25 minutes. <laughs> Let me guess. Uh, you were in charge, and they were your co-hosts, <laughs> or co- co-detectives, sorry. Yeah. yeah, everybody bailed once our first meeting was, hey, let's all buckle down and make a sign. <laughs> man, you were an artist at heart, man. You need to have the visuals before you can uh, get get to work finding pets, huh? Yep, yep, yep. I, uh, I hit a... After Dick Tracy came out, I think is when I hit my detective phase, and it wasn't so much like the sleuth, the detective eatness. It was more like a guy with uh, that that look, the detective jacket, kicking right. ass and shooting guns, basically. So you were the creep at school with the giant trench coat and the sunglasses on. <laughs> duster clay. It's called a duster, <laughs> and it also worked for my Highlander reenactments. <laughs> Ooh, now we're talking. <laughs> So, uh, so this episode, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm of two minds in this episode because I think the concept here is really good. Right. I don't particularly care for the, I don't know, the way it – it's tough. Looking at it now, I don't really care for the way it plays out. As a kid, like I said, it has all these, like, little bits that I could totally be into. Right. Um, and as, as a introduction in the show to the Penguin, I think it's pretty lame. Right. That's right. This is, I forgot, it's the first intro to the Penguin, and it's it's not good. It doesn't empower him very much, even though Batman's kind of 
sick when they actually fight because Batman just took those those capsules. Right. I feel like he he still would have kicked Penguin's ass. Yeah. There's enough like lag time in the fight. I'm like, really, Batman? You can't throw an elbow or something? It just it, I don't know. It didn't seem that threatening. Yeah, and I I don't know. I just for the story that they're telling, I don't think the Penguin is the right character because right. they they uh, as the um. The trivia on IMDb says uh, uh, the series creators weren't quite sure what to do with the Penguin. Initially, they thought of him as a cerebral sort of villain who relied on his wits rather than his fists. Mm -hmm. Uh, They considered turning him into a bird-loving Norman Bates-style mama's boy, always under the thumb of his overly protective but unseen mother. Right. But these plans were scrapped after the theatrical release of Batman Returns and the animated Penguin was retooled to more closely resemble the live-action film's Penguin. Uh, Bruce Tim even visited the set to sketch Danny DeVito in full costume, which I think you could see that right away. It does look a lot like the Batman Returns Penguin. Yeah, they were told to do that on purpose, if I remember correctly. Um, they geared up for this after the first Keaton movie, and then when they got the concepts, I think my, my guess is that they wanted to do the classic uh, Mer- a bit Meredith Burgess sort of style. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, they went into Danny DeVito with long hair and kind of a fat Bon Jovi with an eyeglass kind of look. <laughs> uh, it's funny because that surprises me even more the way that they handle him because he is one of the more recognizable Batman villains and he's going to be in this movie that's coming out, this their big tentpole Batman movie. Right. But uh, they don't really do anything with him. Like they give him this really lame introduction. It's... It, I, we've noticed this a bit up to this point where the characters that the villains that people are more familiar with, they mm. don't really seem to know what to do with on this show. Right. Well, they have um, the nice thing about the, I think the reason the penguin is so iconic is visually he's just very unusual looking. Right. He's not he's not a hulking guy. He's just a circle with a, an umbrella <laughs> and a beak. Um, <laughs> you know, to be honest, I never really thought about him as like if I was gonna write him, what would his thing be? You know, like does he use his wit? But that's kind of like what the Riddler does, right? I don't know. Like I, I, I can see why they'd be spinning their tires a bit, but I definitely agree. This is not a great episode to introduce him. And um, I think if I was gonna redo this, I would keep the concept, but I would use Killer Croc Ooh, instead, yeah, yep. and set it in a treehouse in the, in the forest at night or Ooh, something. Ooh, that's so, cool. Yeah, make it a little more scary. And then uh, you know when Batman gets cured he, he actually you know he makes more of a go at kicking his ass and, yeah you know. i think i think you're kind of touching on some of the stuff that was sticking out to me um you know i, I said i i don't think they picked the right villain for this uh because the penguin never felt to me i don't know maybe this is just looking at him in hindsight but the penguin never felt like a uh, uh, boots on the ground villain who's gonna have henchmen and gonna you know what i mean He's mm-hmm. he does seem like more of a uh, a mob boss or an elevated figure who's who's not he was he's never going to be there doing the dirty work, right? Um, and even later in the show, I think they start to play him more like a uh, a crime world version of Bruce right. Wayne, sort of where he's got a club and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They do they change him to the classic look, and then they legitimize him and they have him so that. Um he can never be seen committing a crime, but you know it's him, you know? Yeah, and in this one, he actually can talk to birds <laughs> or something. Oh, God, yeah, that, that, that chirp. I could have done without that. <laughs> yeah, he is voiced yeah. by, uh, by by Paul Williams. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Williams, but uh, he, he's... I am. Oh, you are? 
Yeah, there's a whole documentary on Netflix about him. Right, right, yes. Yeah, he's a, yeah. he was very famous in the 70s for uh, doing cocaine, I think. Yeah, and being short and having a great voice. Yep, and he wrote many famous songs. He wrote a lot of the early Muppet songs and, you know, a lot of the songs from the late 60s, early 70s he had a hand in. He's a very right. good songwriter. He's also, he also did a cameo in uh, Star Trek Voyager, which did I he thought really? was pretty awesome. Yeah, I think maybe just for an episode or two. Oh. But yeah, that, that voice is amazing. I'm glad that I, voice. I mean, casting wise, I love what they did by picking that guy. Yeah, he's got a great voice. Uh, it it really fits that character really well. Yeah. Um. Now, what do you? I think, I think the look of the penguin in this is pretty good. Uh, he's actually more. He seems a lot more like one of the redesigns than one of these one of the original ones. I I, it, I don't know if that makes sense, but like there's, he seems very streamlined, right. uh, and he seems like what the characters looked like later on when they redesigned them. Yeah. Um, I think his look is pretty good. I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of hard to mess him up, though, because he's pretty, you know. Yeah. I like this look a lot better than the uh, season four. I know that maybe it's because I was used to, I, I got introduced to him through Danny DeVito in a way. Uh -huh. But uh, when they changed him for the fourth season, I was not too thrilled with it. Oh, I don't. I don't remember what they did. Do they uh, did they change him? Does he look really goofy or something? No, he just looks more um, like you know Burgess Meredith. Oh you know, yeah, okay. I just pulled. I just pulled it up. Yeah, cropped. He, he looks kind of like a short, fat uh, butler, sort of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a I terrible mean, redesign. Yeah, let's be honest though. Penguins themselves look like short, fat butlers. That's a good point. <laughs> yes, that's why he does always wear the same stuff all the time. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to be drawing him in my book soon, uh, but I was trying to decide which look he should have, and I think I'm just going to swipe this look, basically. Yeah. And he's just kind of a background character, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, it's a good look. Mm -hmm. I, I think their first, this is one of the cases where I think their first pass was, was very successful. Right. Well, so I, um, seeing him in context in this story, I can imagine that the reason that they chose him was because it's got kids in it. It's got it takes place in a basement. You don't want something too scary. You want a villain that potentially kids could possibly outwit or at mm -hmm. least escape. You know, nothing too threatening. Um, so maybe that's why they used him and sort of had his two goofy sidekicks or whatever and the bird. I, I don't know. I I, I I could see that meeting happening. I could definitely um, I could definitely see that being the case. But <laughs> also. Later in the episode, he does uh, attempt to brutally murder Batman with a uh, razor blade umbrella right in front of those kids. That's true. He could have <laughs> could have turned their heads or something. <laughs> um, yeah. What did you think of um, the ending? Uh, which part? Well, I, I guess that the only gag, the, the gag that I love is when the kid is like, hey, Batman, I don't suppose you're single. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stuff is is pretty good. Like I, I, I really like the idea of this episode. Um, I think for me, every time I remember this episode, I remember a lot more of the uh, stuff where he's actually in the basement. I didn't realize it took so long to get there. Yeah. Um, and I guess if I were to do this one over, I would have more stuff with the kids actually having to do uh, uh, yeah. detective-type type Batman-type stuff. Yeah. Um, like, the thing I actually was thinking of when I was watching this was it was like, it felt kind of like Stranger Things with Batman. Hmm. 
And yeah. I guess that's kind of what I was I, – if I were to do it again, I would make it more that way where it's like you've got these kids who are mm-hmm. – you know, actually have to pull their team together to yeah. – yeah. To do all the things that they, they pretend they're doing every day to help save Batman. Exactly. You know, there was another uh, Stranger Things reference I, I, I noticed. Um, well, it's not a reference, but a thing that reminded me of Stranger Things. Uh-huh. When um, the kids, the girl, uh, she says to the mom, oh, nothing. We just have Batman in our basement. And she's like, okay, you two, go have fun playing. Yeah. That joke was made in Stranger Things when they're buying all that um, – hunting equipment oh and right the, the guy at the store is like what are you doing oh we're monster hunting that the gag of like admit to the adults what you're doing and they won't take you seriously that's how you get out of it right 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 yeah that's uh i i feel like that pops up in a lot of those things too i think uh yeah. you know monster yeah. monster squad has a similar thing i'm sure the goonies does there's something i mean it's totally it's the idea that you know the the parents just assume everything you're doing is just for fun and make-believe right yeah totally and which is yeah, Sorry, which is ahead. one of the one of the reasons why those stories work so well is is because, right? You know, uh, you know, I've talked about um, the boundaries of the world that you're creating and how if you if your boundary gets too wide, then it just brings up too many questions and things start to right. fall apart. Uh, right. I don't know if I've talked about it here. I've definitely talked about it on the Star Trek podcast. But in a story like this, if taking adults out of the out of the equation mm-hmm. is the only way that these stories work. So if you you have to have that scene where you know the adults try to be like, hey, what's going on? And then they just think you're playing, so they leave you alone. Then you can focus on the kids, because otherwise then you have to figure out, well, what are the parents going to do about this? Do right. they call the cops? You know, it, it opens that world up to a story that you don't want to tell, you know? Right, right, right. Now, at the beginning, uh, his friend, she wanted to call the police immediately. Do you think that would have been a better way to go <laughs> when all is said and done? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we're looking at it from a real, realistic point of view, I say, yes, you probably call the cops. Yeah. Or at least you, you get Batman out of there and you also call the cops. Right. What do you think um, the uh, – oh, shit. Oh, so if you are a cop and you're called into uh, – uh, I don't even know the, the code for a superhero in the basement. <laughs> but you show up and it, it is indeed you know, Batman. He's not doing well. What do you do? Do you arrest him? Do you call Gordon? I mean, do you even report it? I mean, what do you think the protocol is for Gotham City PD? That's a really good question. I mean, judging judging by the way that they play cops in the Batman movies, usually one of them would probably open fire on him, and the other <laughs> one would just go, well, you're about to see something cool, kid, so buckle up. <laughs> uh, totally. Um, yeah, what about uh, what, what, what scene would you like to redraw, or what would you redo about this? Well... One thing I think I think we both actually kind of kind of want to redo the whole episode a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was one thing that stood out that I, I I was thinking about that I thought could have been really cool. That's not it's not in this episode, but it it, it was kind of a jumping off point to think about something else. The scene where um, they have to figure out how to work the Batmobile. I was going to say that. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, what yeah. I was thinking of is it would be really cool. I don't know if you could do it. In a, in a comic or in a show, it would have to be a short story, maybe a Batman black and white or something. Um, if you did a story where Batman, for whatever reason, was stuck in the Batmobile, like if he was injured or, you know, for some reason, constantly <laughs> under attack. So you basically have 
a an entire story that's Batman solving all of his problems from inside the Batmobile. He can drive it and stuff. He, so basically, he has to oh, use he he has to use all the capabilities of the Batmobile to solve whatever the problem is in the story. Right. Yes, and they would, it would the soundtrack to the opening of Drive would yeah. be in the background <laughs> the whole time. I'm down with that. Yeah, it would just be kind of cool because you know I I feel like the Batmobile is as in this episode especially when the kids start hitting buttons and stuff. It has yeah. all these like James Bondy type things, and also has like Stinger missiles that come out of the back of it. Yeah, funny you never see him use those. Yeah, but uh, I, I, it was just made me think it would be cool to do a story where you actually get to see the what the Batmobile actually does and what it right. can do because it is really kind of just a, a showpiece. Yeah. Uh, for transitions a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that they keep it um, mysterious, maybe. So when it does something, it's supposed to be a surprise. Kind of like how they don't ever really show you clearly what Batman's belt does. Right, right. You know, just it, he kind of has everything in there. You know, don't right. worry about it. Just, just enjoy the movie. <laughs> and especially in the cartoon, his bet his belt is so thin. Right. You know, anytime he takes it off, he just like drapes it over something like a scarf. It yeah. has, it has like <laughs> no weight to it whatsoever, but he still hides all the uh, grapple guns and batarangs in it somehow. Yeah. Well, there's pockets in the back of the cape, as you, I think you pointed out. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a backpack on under his cape, probably. You know the cartoons where there's a creepy guy in the alley and he's like, hey, you want to buy something? And he opens his jacket. <laughs> it's kind of like that, but more more classy. Batman just opens, holds his cape open and it's full of watches. <laughs> oh, man. That's one way for Bruce Wayne to make his fortune. Yeah. So what about what about you? What would you uh, do over or um, redraw? I- I would uh, I'd go Batmobile again, but I liked when they are the kids are driving the car and uh, she's working the pedals and the, the kid is shifting and driving, which is impressive. Yeah. And Batman is just kind of <laughs> zonked out. I, I like the escape there, um, where penguins on the hood and all that. I, I think that would be cool to draw. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I I, I would love to see um, Batman awake enough to register what was going on and see the horror right. in his face of two kids driving the Batmobile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be good. I, I, you know, I think this is where this, the episode succeeds is when they go full on with the um, Batman seen through the eyes of kids. Yep. Because you imagine how neat it would be if you were in their shoes, how, how awesome and cool it would be if he was there with you, if you were actually driving the Batmobile. I mean, it's a, a fantasy um, playing out, I think, for a lot of kids. And I think that was the idea of the episode. Um, but then, uh, you know, yeah, but then I, I think it falls apart in other, other ways. Uh, yeah, and it, it you know like I said we we talked about the all those things that you know we uh, um, identified with as kids, and even there's like a Home Alone element to it, yeah, and yeah, uh, or or like Three Ninjas. I don't know if you remember Three Ninjas, but Three Ninjas <laughs> was like Home Alone, but they they were just all, they were just all badasses, <laughs> right? I think I might have accidentally seen that once. Yeah. Oh <laughs> man, when, when you're when you're eight years old, that movie's the best. <laughs> You and your you and your two brothers are all karate masters who have to f- defend your house from robbers. It's amazing. It's basically this episode. Another you know, thing, I, I don't I, know I why picture, that was popular with kids. I picture you and your brothers a lot like the uh, brothers from Overboard with Kurt Russell, <laughs> <laughs> all with like Kool Aid stains on your lips and kind of tattered clothes, thinking that you're ninjas. Am I close or no? <laughs> well, I don't I don't have any brothers, so you're off by that. Point. Uh, oh shit! <laughs> all right, whatever. I just I tried a Kurt Russell reference. What am I gonna do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think I think we pretty much covered this one pretty well. Uh, what would you rate this one if you if you had to give it a rating? 
Oh man, I mean, I like the concept, but I don't think I could get it. Give it anything over a three. Yeah. How about you? I I have the same way. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I mean, as a kid, I bet this is like we, you were saying, it's a total kid fantasy thing. Um, yeah. I think the only thing missing is there's no point where the kids actually dress up like Batman. Huh. huh. Which would have been which would have been interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the story, um, the Brian Ballin story from Batman Black and White, the first yeah. volume, where it's right. about the guy who kills Batman? Uh, yeah, I remember. I remember the art. I don't remember the story. That yeah, way. it's it's about this guy telling a this this kind of confessional about uh, how he would go about killing Batman and how it would you know no one would know he did it because there's no reason he was just doing it to do it and he would never tell anybody about it. The right. character who is drawn as the person who kills Batman looks a lot like the kid in this episode. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, the way that he's t- the kid is talking to Batman where he's like, "No, it's fine. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to keep my eye on you. I'll be I'll be I'll be learning everything there is about you or whatever he says." I was like, "I wonder if that kid grows up to be the guy that kills Batman." <laughs> that would be a good uh, part 2. <laughs> and like uh, like the Incredibles, how the the sidekick guy turns into the bad guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's uh, that's I've got Batman in my basement, and I think yeah. we covered that pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Now we'll take a quick break, and we will be back with Heart of Ice. I I, don't, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to put in like uh, maybe I'll put in some like fake commercials or something. Yeah, <laughs> or uh, maybe find the commercials for all that old spy gear. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I'll see if I'm trying to see if I can find that. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I don't even remember what it's called. All right. Well, I mean, hopefully I found it. We'll we'll find out in a second. <laughs> Case 109. A stranger is on your block. With your SpyTech rearview glasses, you've got him in sight. You leave a message in code. Your partner uses his SpyTech watch to decode it. He's at the movie. Where'd he go? This'll find him. You placed a trap. Use the SpyTech invisible detection kit to follow his footprints. Cancel the plan. They have SpyTech. SpyTech. All right, well, that, whatever I played there was, was fantastic. Um, we are back, and we're talking about the next episode, Heart of Ice, which Woo-hoo! this is our first, I believe, our first straight-up Bruce Tim paul Dini joint. Ooh. And it was uh, directed by Bruce Tim, and it was written by Paul Dini. Mm. And in it, bitter scientist Victor Freeze, as Mr. Freeze, attacks several divisions of Gothcorp, each time stealing a piece from a secret weapon he intends to build. Batman investigates the connections and discovers that the start of Freeze's vendetta against Gothcorp was a bitter falling out between Freeze and Gothcorp CEO Ferris Boyle. Right. During which Boyle almost killed Freeze, mutating him into Mr. Freeze, and presumably killed Freeze's terminally ill wife, Nora. Batman must find a way to bring Boyle to justice before Freeze carries out his revenge. That was that was not the most well-worded way they could have done this, I don't think. But, yeah. Um, and it says a note, this episode won the series a 90, 1993 Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program. Oh, cool. Good. Absolutely so deserved. I'm going to, I mean. You go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how you feel. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume you probably feel very similar to me in this one. I think this is the first great Batman episode that we've yep. seen. Yep. Spoiler alert, I'm giving it a five. Yeah, me too. Yep. Um, like, especially when, when watching these two back-to-back, the animation level in this episode is off the charts compared yeah. to Batman in my basement. Yeah. You know, like the uh, uh, we were talking about in uh, in the previous episode about the the Batmobile scene. Uh, this episode has Batmobile stuff with like low angle mm-hmm. Batmobile doing like 180 jet turns. Yeah. And it's got these awesome. Uh, <laughs> my favorite animation in this was the. Uh, these close-ups of like the engines that Batman turns on to like heat up the chemical bath for the guy. Yeah. That shit yeah, was yeah. awesome. Yeah, that Star Wars bath thing was really cool. Yeah, and I mean just Batman himself looks awesome. Yeah. The shadows and the colors are great and the, the way he moves is fantastic. They really pulled out yeah. all the stops for this episode. Yeah, yeah. And even when they animated Freeze to do that um glow on his helmet, they had to airbrush consistently every time. Right. To make it move. I mean, when the animation team, I guess when Bruce Tim, Paul Dini got the animation back, they were stunned because they know how hard that is to do in the company they hired. They weren't asked to do that, but they did it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it was stunningly beautiful. Yeah, they did a really fantastic job. I mean, like, I, f- I feel like they knew that this was, you know, this was the jewel yeah. of their crown for the first season anyway. And now this is the first time uh, Freeze is driven by the loss of his wife. Is that correct? Yes. He, uh, um, briefly, uh, he was originally called Mr. Zero, and he was created in 1959, but it was only in the Batman television series in the 60s when he was first referred to as Mr. Freeze and became popular. But by the time this show was on, he, the character, had actually been killed off. And uh, um, it was this episode that brought him back into the The comics with this new story. uh, Right. uh, the um, like in pre-crisis continuity, Mister Freeze is a rogue scientist who designs uh, who designs an ice gun, but it backfires when he inadvertently spills cryogenic chemicals on himself, resulting in him needing sub-zero temperatures to survive. And that's like basically it. Right. So no wife, no love, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was. I, stuff. I believe he was originally supposed to be just another like gimmick villain. Right. Uh. Yeah, it's totally. A, yeah, it's and honestly, he was like, gimmick, yeah. if I if I was naming this character, and, and if you said, "Hey, man, why don't you call him Mister Freeze?" I'd be like, "That sucks." <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid that. name. But uh, you know, in hindsight, um, it's perfect. I mean, the, the whole the whole thing. I guess I, I maybe call him Doctor Freeze. It is convenient that his uh, name is spelled F R I E S, which I thought was fries for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I read it, I still think I still think fries. Doctor <laughs> Fries turns into Mister Freeze. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I you know so one of the things about Mister Freeze that I find fascinating is right. uh, this story. This episode is clearly fantastic. They clearly give him a great story. Mm-hmm. They turn a one-dimensional villain into a a well-rounded character. But how well do you think he works as a returning character? Well, you know, um, I don't. Honestly, the reason that he appeals to me is I don't see him as a villain. Yeah. I see him as driven by something else. And right. um, for me, when it, I think they get good play out of him t- two or three episodes, and that's it. I think maybe just two episodes is all he gets, really. And then they do the movie Sub-Zero, which sort of right. finishes his story. 
So I'm going to guess that there's maybe four or five collective episodes, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is people think back to the animated series, and they think back to Freeze, and he has a giant footprint. But he had very minimal episodes, if you really look at it. Like, there are seasons where he's not in it at all. Right. Yeah, and I they, think... They, oh, go sorry, ahead. One last thing. Uh, for the, What killed me about season four, which was done after Sub-Zero, is they brought him back with, like, Eskimo chicks. Ah, jeez. <laughs> C-H-I-X. Those kinds of chicks. And they're Ooh. sassy. And, yeah, it, it's just no good. And he I just bet, doesn't work as a crime boss. I bet that was probably somehow connected to Batman and Robin probably came out around that time if I had to guess Ooh, okay. yeah yeah. Where he, yeah but yeah he's he's really interesting because he is such a fascinating character because right. he's got that depth to him he's definitely has uh, I mean yeah. next to uh, next so far in the show anyway next to I feel like they've been they've been ramping up to this episode between the Two-Face right. stuff and the uh, um, Poison Ivy stuff yeah but he's not like there's he's really got two things that he does if you want to use him as a straight villain the two things that he does is he either uh for whatever reason wants to freeze everything right or he's trying to get some piece of a machine to to save his wife which is what he's doing here because right. he's the only character who the only one of these villains who actually has like a goal right and yeah. he yeah. either he either accomplishes the goal or he doesn't and that's mm-hmm. pretty much all you have to do with him yeah yeah, and I, it's it's so strong because it's very different. Batman, when he deals with Freeze, he feels compassion. He's always offering his help or Bruce Wayne's help or whatever. Right. Um. He he wants to. He doesn't want to hurt Freeze or arrest him. He wants to help him, and, and it just breaks his heart to see where Freeze is coming from. Especially when you look at the video of what happened to his wife, and you throw in like corporate greed and all that. I mean, it's uh, people. I think mostly root for Mister Freeze in this cartoon. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, he's yeah. The thing that makes him so great is he's yeah. clearly a villain. He's doing villainous stuff, but mm. the reason he's doing it, the reason he's doing it is very relatable, and right. he doesn't. Uh, you can you can see that his current situation is is no. Uh, um, is is not due to his own actions, although right. that's unfair because I mean Two Face isn't either, and neither is the Joker. But there's something about Mister Freeze that really makes yeah, yeah. that stuff really work. Right. I th- for me, the the visual stuff goes so, so far. I I feel there's a giant connection with this and Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. You have um you have the flower inside the glass case, just like you have Nora inside the glass case. You have yep. a beauty, you have a beast or a monster, which is Mister Freeze. You have these like wilting flower petals, or you have snowflakes. I mean, you can kind of see like all the connections I'm making. You've got um, Alfred the talking teapot. Okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, damn it, Clay, you made me lose my train of thought. But uh, and also the music too. I mean, they they really were firing on all cylinders, and I think this is the show at its best when Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. Uh, really connected and we especially when you see them working together more and more i think that's when the batman animated series machine is most effective when you just put those guys in a, alone in a room and they come up with stuff hence when we get to uh, mad love later on yep um especially with dini i mean uh, my friend dustin Wynn worked with paul dini for a while on some batman uh, comics and um i think what people would say about dini is he's a great writer he's probably better 
in one, with one shots and quick stories that, that wrap up within a half hour or yeah. two, two issues. And I think that's when he's most effective, and that's clearly what he's doing here. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that actually because I feel like they do. I feel like this could have been a two-parter. Yeah. But I I'm kind of glad it's not because I feel like I'm I'm glad it didn't have the chance to turn into the two-faced two-parter, mm-hmm. where the second half of it just kind of you know doesn't live up yeah. to the first half. Right. Um, but but then again, it's like well, the story that they're telling here is so tight. There's like no right. there's really no fat on this story at all. No, no. And the way that the whole arc of Freeze in this cartoon with these four or five episodes, I'm going to count the movie as two episodes. <clears throat> you have this episode, and then he's in jail. And the next time we see him, there's a Walt Disney type who breaks him out of jail. And he forces Freeze to use the cryotechnology on himself, on the Disney character, in order to create this like Atlantis perfect society out in the ocean. Oh, wow. And Freeze uh, eventually tells him to fuck off and he destroys everything and he almost kills himself in the process and that's the last time we see freeze in this series and then they do the sub-zero movie which is um i don't know 90 minutes at least and they get to freeze like where he basically floated on this uh him and nora are inside encased in this um glacier that's floated to the north at some point he gets out and him he befriends two polar bears in a young eskimo boy <laughs> Uh, takes over an oil rig, and um, I'm forgetting what his motivation is. But uh, the end of the uh, that movie, Nora is cured, and but you never see her face, you never hear her talk. You just watch him pass by a window and see the news on TV, and then mm-hmm. he just disappears into the sunset with these two polar bears, and that's it. It was like perfect, which is why it sucked so bad when they brought him back for season four with his Eskimo chicks. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean. That's the problem when you have a character who, uh, or a villain who has a definite goal in mind. Because, you know, right. once, once you achieve that goal, anytime you bring the character back, he's going to, you know, be kind of shitty. And right. what's the point? He just turns into another villain. Right. Um, kind of like Bane in the comics where Bane had a very specific purpose, and that was mm-hmm. to break Batman's back. And then once Batman defeated Bane, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, Bane's still around or whatever, but he doesn't have the same right. gravitas to him that he did before. No. Well, if you just put that fucking tube somewhere instead of <laughs> dangling vicariously, like a gust of wind could unplug him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not maybe not the best design on the part of the the venom, the venom technicians. Um, one of the things that I really liked, I mean, like I said, this this episode is super tight. The writing's really good. Uh, I even like the way that they kind of subvert their own tropes. In mm-hmm. terms of uh, creation of Mr. Freeze, uh, because they have the scene where uh, Bruce Wayne goes into Ferris Boyle's—that's quite right. a name. Qu- that's Ferris Boyle's quite a name. I don't know where they got that name from. Um, goes into his office and is asking about uh, Victor Freeze, and Boyle basically tells you his origin, but he just kind of tosses it off. He's like, "Yeah, you know, he was a scientist into some weird stuff, and uh, Bing, bang, boom, couple explosions. Uh, we don't know where he is." <laughs> Yeah, costing and, me money. Yeah, and it was like, at first, it's like, oh, wow, that's a really great way to handle that because first it makes Ferris Boyle come off as a total douchebag, mm-hmm. which is good, uh, which is intentional. Um, second, it's 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 meta in that it's aware of how all of these villains tend to come about. I mean, that's basically what happened with Two-Face like two episodes ago. Right. Um but it also works because when you finally see the video of what happened, mm-hmm. you can see how much 
uh, actual weight and pathos there was to what Freeze was doing, why he was doing it, and how big of an asshole Ferris Boyle actually is. Yeah, and yeah. I thought they they handled that really well. Yeah, that 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 scene, and especially the voice actor who did Freeze, I forget his yes. name, but he he passed I think like four years ago, and the, the way that they have him almost speaking speaking through like a cackly old radio, yeah, it's just so so haunting. And when you hear him scream and he's Nora, that that whole thing, it's just. And then Bruce says it best, where he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, the, uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say the uh, uh, Boyle was voiced by um, Skywalker. Yes. Yep. Yeah. A very Mark restrained Hamill. Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> they must have brought him on set and been like, oh, shit, this isn't a Joker episode. Uh, how about you do a, a corporate villain? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think they, uh, you know, they probably just have those guys do a handful of things when they're in there. So he probably does his Joker <laughs> episode, and then he does like four or five background characters. I suppose. <laughs> or yeah, maybe he was just sitting outside the offices, waiting for them to open. Uh, but yeah, they. Uh, I love the way that they ha- like everything about the way that they handle his character is really well thought out. Um, he like. Just think about the way that they treat Mr. Freeze compared to the way that they treat the Scarecrow. Because they're kind of very, they're very similar. Um, The Scarecrow is just very arch and very one note and very uh, just a run of the mill handling. Whereas Mr. Freeze, everything about him is is thought out. Mm -hmm. His design is thought out. The way he speaks. He doesn't. He has no inflection to his voice. It's all like right. you said. It sounds like it's coming through that radio, which is really cool. Which is a great yeah. contrast to when you see that video of him before he turned into Mister Freeze, where he actually right. has he's animated. He actually has yeah, some yeah. Yeah. change in his voice. And yeah. even the stuff that he does, excuse the pun, but he's the coldest villain that they've had so far. Right. And you know when uh, early on in the episode, one of his henchmen gets frozen by accident, and right. one of the other guys is like. Uh, we sh- are we going to help this guy? And he's like, no, fuck him. He's dead. You know, he's, yeah, yeah, we don't have yeah. time for this. If he dies, he dies. Yeah, basically. He's the Ivan Drago of Batman villains until <laughs> until Bane shows up anyway. Yeah. Well, so the thing that uh, – not only do they treat him different uh, – so you talked about uh, Scarecrow. Yeah. I think that the way that they treat Freeze and also the viewer is they treat they treat the viewer like an adult here. Yes. This is not an episode for kids. It, it It's dumb. It's like toned down and softened for kids, but – there's nothing about this that is a direct uh, that targets kids in any easy way. It's very much written for for, for adults, I feel. And uh, as cold as Freeze is, I like that he's balanced out with this extreme warmth that he has. This this love. Like if you had to give him a backstory, if you didn't give him one that involved love, then I don't think it would balance the cold character very well. I think it had to be the loss of a wife or a dog or something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. I mean that. That stuff, you know, it, without that, it, the cold thing just turns into a gimmick, you know? Right. But yeah. it's the, yeah. using the cold thing and his lack of emotion as a way to illustrate, right? you know, the pain that he's gone through in his life is just, is just amazing. Right, yeah. So when I, I remember when I first saw this, uh, I was probably 12 or 13. And, you know, the cartoons that I had watched up to that point were like, you know, Thundercats, Transformers, G.I. Joe. And then right. along comes this episode. And I think I went through a few of the episodes thinking that it was basically on the same level as Thundercats. <laughs> um, 
But then I remember episodes like this where it just floored me, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And even like the next day at school, I'd be doodling freeze in my notebook and thinking like, man, that's just so perfect. You know, Nora's in that glass case, and he's wearing one over his head. It's like they're both captured, and they can't touch each other. Like, I, I just could not I, stop obsessing about how much I loved it, and that's what sort of flagged um, this series as this is different. This is not just kitty storytelling. This is for adults. There's like a nice mix here, and I think this episode and stuff like this is what sort of wanted me to get into comics and sort of I want to do superhero-y stuff, kinda, but I wanted to have like you know real theatrical elements in it, and I just I don't want it to just be campy, you know? Right, right. And you know, in the in the very first episode, I talked about uh, how one of the things that always interested me is how a lot of people, at least within maybe five or ten years of, around our age range. When you ask them what's the definitive Batman, they always say this Batman the Animated Series. I think this episode is probably a good chunk of why that is. Yeah, yeah. I think that this uh, encapsulates the things that this series does well. You know, and it's all in one episode. Like, I think some of these themes and some of the things that they do well here will be repeated uh, here and there in other episodes. But right here, it's collected in one episode. Like, this is the one to show people to introduce them to the whole series, I think. Right. And uh, um, to sort of uh, uh, go back to something I was talking about in Batman in My Basement, I, I find it interesting that they don't, they seem to have, I don't know if it's just a, 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 a result of um, having more freedom or something with these characters, but they seem to have a lot more interesting ideas for the, for the villains who have not really been used before than they do the standbys. Like the Joker, the Joker stuff we've seen so far, I think neither one of us has really liked. Uh, Batman in my basement, Penguin, they just sort of like, meh, you know, he's, he's got, he talks to birds and he's got henchmen. Yeah. Um, it's not until you get into the Two Faces and uh, the Poison Ivies and then in your, in your Mr. Freeze where they, they really are really digging their fingers in and really doing some yeah. really cool stuff. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they were given more leeway with the stuff that wasn't written as much. You know, if you asked for Mr. Freeze, maybe Warner Brothers would be like, okay, I guess. Right. You know, we killed him off, right? I mean, no one gave a shit about that goofy asshole. And they're like, no, 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 we trust me. We want it. We're going to we're gonna fix it. We're going to save it. And then they managed to come up with this. And maybe that's kind of the track record is it sucks to try to do something with the Joker or these, these villains that Warner Brothers is very protective of. But if you grab something, um, you know, off the radar and uh, – really inject everything you got into it like they really did manage to salvage some really great things and invent new things right yeah i mean we're i think we're not done with that either because i mean we're gonna see great stuff out of clayface i don't think anybody did anything with clayface before this show yeah you know um and i i'm you know that brings me to something else that i was thinking about that i i i'm sure we can talk about more when we get to the harley quinn episodes um how do you feel about stuff that is created in the show becoming uh canon in the comics or does does it not do you not have an opinion i support it honestly i i think uh, some people would complain that cartoons and movies they fuck up comics i think it saves comics more than it fucks it up yeah i think having new blood in the writer's room going through 75 years of batman continuity and they can just guard all the crap that we've accumulated because there's a lot i i embrace um new media coming in 
because I mostly feel like it helps us and it, it makes us like they, they'll question some of our oldest ideas and sometimes for the better like when they did the X-Men and they put them in jumpsuits and sort of got rid of the costumes for a while mm-hmm. um, stuff like that I think are really because they're they're funded uh, at a much different level their approval is much different it's Hollywood so it's taken out of the, the hands of the creators that are overly precious with it and I think a lot of times they give us gold they, they fuck it up too obviously sometimes but yeah. generally I, I love when they can work it into continuity yeah, I, I agree, I think, for the most part. my The only time that I don't really like it is I don't like it when it's clearly uh, like a top-down decision. So I like it in the case of Mr. Freeze or Harley Quinn where clearly it was just the right thing to do uh, and the characters are so popular. I really don't like it when it's, all right, we've got this movie coming out. The character in the movie looks like this and has this backstory, so now we have to change the comic to make it more closer to the movie I, I hate it when they do that oh yeah and honestly i don't know why they bother because the movies make so much more money like the comics don't even pay for warner brothers office supplies every year <laughs> you know the, the slice of pie like batman arkham the money that warner brothers makes off of batman if you look at it as a pie chart it is basically millions and millions of dollars off arkham asylum batman pajamas toys um license plate covers I think that what they make on Batman license plate covers makes more than what the comic book industry as a whole makes <laughs> every year. Bat- they're just turnkeys. Like their goal is, you know what? Just keep Batman moving in the comics. Uh, we we don't we have fun. Don't change the story too much. We need to sell pajamas. That's the goal of, of the corporation. And well, I'm not trying to say that they're evil. That's just how they are. Right. So for them to like be like, well, we need to make the comic match. Like, do we? You guys are – I don't think Warner Brothers day-to-day is even aware that they own a comic book company. <laughs> it's, it's very possible. Well, it, it, uh, uh, it, I, I don't know if this is true, but I had heard, heard that, uh, you know, not to slight all the great artists and writers who have worked on Wonder Woman over the years, but uh, I had heard that Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman comics just were not selling. But the reason that it was, and like never had for like 30 years or something, but the reason right. that it was, the book was out there and the character was still out there was because they were making so much money on merchandise. Yeah, yeah. I think that comics sometimes operates at a loss just to keep the character IPs going because they need to sell pajamas. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, there's no joking around at all in that statement. I think that's factually what they, what they, how that business is run, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, would, it doesn't surprise me at all. Let um, me ask you. Oh, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Go, go ahead. No, I, I was just, uh, I was going to, kind of go a little bit say what you're going to say and we'll, I'll say what I was well, going to say so I was going to ask you uh, your opinion on Mr. Freeze when he says that he's frozen of all emotion do you believe him do you think he's actually doesn't feel emotion anymore uh, no he clearly does otherwise he wouldn't be doing what he's doing <laughs> me too the whole point of his character is that he loves his wife <laughs> yeah yeah but I mean, when he when he claims that he doesn't feel anything anymore is he does he actually believe that i think <clears throat> let's see let's see how how heady i can get with this Uh-oh. um <laughs> i think he uses that as a cover a a in a rationale in his own mind to excuse the awful things that he has to do in order mm-hmm. to uh uh help his wife right i think if he can if because obviously the character loves his wife because if he didn't then he wouldn't be doing all the stuff to try and save her. But the stuff that he has to do in order to get to that goal probably is very abhorrent to Victor Freeze, the person. Mm-hmm. So that he's got to shut that part off of him 
right. in, in order to reconcile what he has to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a defense mechanism. He needs to function. He needs to move forward and steal equipment or whatever and, and put people's lives at risk. He needs to disconnect from how much he loves her because otherwise he wouldn't be able to function. Right, right. He he has to, uh, um, like he's got, like I said, he's got this one goal and he's constantly driving towards that goal. And so yeah. he has to, that, that, that has to be the only thing he cares about. So everything else doesn't, no, nothing else matters. Whatever he has to do to get there is what he's going to do. Right. Yeah. And which is why, which is why sometimes that means being a good guy. Yeah. You know, he's not always a bad guy. He sometimes he's kind of in the middle, or you know, sometimes he says take two and call me in the morning. Oh. Uh, ice to see you. Um, the one thing, the thing I was going to say before was, uh, do you think that this episode has actually done the comics a disservice? And what I mean by that is. They brought this story, this back, uh, uh, this background into the comic, but as we said before, Freeze isn't really that great of a recurring recurring villain because he's only got like two things that he does. Do you think latching? Do you think like this episode peaked the character and made it harder for comics to tell a story using this character? Uh, I I haven't read a lot of what's happened since then with the comics. Um... But, yeah, it, this is a tough act to follow. What do you think? That's part of it, I think, because I, I can't think of a, like, I've read a decent amount of Batman comics. I, it occurred to me the other day, I was at the store, uh, at the comic store, and I just, I was buying Batman comics, and I, I said to the to the uh, the guy behind the desk, I feel like this is, anytime I come in and just casually buy comics, I'm buying Batman comics. Right. And I cannot name you a great Mr. Freeze story that right. I've read in the comics. And yeah. I apologize. If, uh, if there are some I just haven't read, please please let me know. I'd love to yeah. read them. Well, there's one, uh, I saw an action figure based on a Greg Capullo design, which was cool, but it wasn't wasn't what I would personally do with Freeze. Yeah. And uh, Freeze was in overalls and had a mohawk. And, oh, uh, yeah, and yeah. Goggles. Yeah, I don't... So I, I agree with you. I don't think there is a Freeze year one or an ultimate Freeze story that people automatically point to and that's actually one of the things um i, I want to tackle in my book and i don't mean to keep like you know dropping the, the fact i'm doing a book i actually wanted to talk about this idea um when we did this episode but i'm using freeze in a major way and i'm embracing all the stuff that happened to him but i i there was something on the that no one ever did with him and um I can't reveal too much because uh, this might come out before my book does, and I don't want anyone to steal the idea. But um, his last name <laughs> Scott is Scott Snyder is listening. Oh, man. No, it's too late. I already drew it. So if he does it now, <laughs> I'll know he ripped me off. Um, but, uh, yeah, his, his name is Vaughn Freeze, which made me think of Baron Von Braun from World War II, mm-hmm. uh, the rocket scientist who was a Nazi SS soldier. Um, and then when he was brought to the u.s we uh funded him we needed him in his rocketry technology to you know help us win the space race so i thought of a way to get make freeze come from a nazi criminal past and have his father be the pioneer of the cryotechnology and there's this whole dramatic story of how he stole it from his his jewish um, partner but you know while hitler was coming to rise and there's this like secret underground um you know, tunnels underneath Gotham that only Freeze knows about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to do a lot of real st- stuff that I think is really exciting. And one of the things I was worried about was getting approval to use Nazis and stuff in the DC universe. Because DC, 
usually tends to create fictional cities, fictitious cities, right. rather than base things in reality like what Marvel does. Um, but they gave it the go-ahead because Frank Miller did it Dark Knight. And he used Nazis or swastikas at least. Put them right on the tits. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Frank Miller, right on the tits. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was taking a drink. I almost spit it all off my computer when you <laughs> Yeah, anyway, but I'm, I'm super excited. And the more I looked into Freeze, the more I realized how no one has done a whole lot with him beyond what this episode did. You know? Yeah, I kind of feel like, again, this is maybe unfair because I haven't really come across any great free stories, but I feel like I feel like the the comics have been riding this story for twenty years. Yeah. You know, it's that good. Like they've they've they redefined the character who I should say just defined him because he didn't have right. any definition beforehand. And I right. feel like he's just sort of been coasting on this story, the yeah. the the greatness of this story yeah. for twenty years. I feel like when you cure Nora Freeze should not exist anymore. I think the goal as a writer is to keep Nora just out of his reach in any way you can and make it about his journey to cap to get Nora and to save her. And the minute he gets her back, I think that's when it's when it's it's over. Well what you if know? what if you kill Nora? Does uh, does Freeze still exist if you kill Nora? I don't I mean I would argue okay, so she better have a, a twin sister or something <laughs> some other love in his life. He's gotta have another love in his life to drive him. Because <laughs> if he just becomes an angry guy that freezes things that's where he was back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you could I think you could probably get a good story out of that cuz I mean if you if you take the heart away from him completely and right. then he's just based entirely in revenge. I mean, he's still he's still acting on an emotional level, but mm-hmm. it's like he's just dialed the coldness up to 11. And uh Right. I think it would probably have to be the last story with him. I don't know if right. he could continue after that because you know right. he either gets caught or he dies. And that's then, the thing. You know, yeah, you would you'd have a giant rampage. You'd have him kill Bill for a bunch of issues, and then he would eventually get beaten, I guess. But yeah, other than that one last uh, explosive bit of rage, I don't think that the character would ex- exist much beyond that. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. He's a, he's a really interesting character that I think. I mean, I've always wanted to use him. I mean, if if uh, if I had to pick a, a Batman villain to use in a story, it would be it would be him probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same here. Have you ever drawn him? Yeah, I've drawn him a couple times. Uh, he's one of those characters where I find it really hard to pin down what kind of suit I like. Yes, and the the I agree with you. He's harder to draw than you think. I mean, he looks good from straight on, especially with the goggles. But when you have to move him around in space, it's, his costume gets really clunky. Yeah, I think I uh, people tend to do him a lot more futuristic these days. Fuck um, that. Yeah. <laughs> I just go ahead. I, I was just say yeah, when I when I've drawn him, I, I I prefer to draw him like a little bit clunkier and a little bit not quite steampunky, but kind of like uh, um. There's a the, my favorite. I think one of my favorite depictions of him is uh, there's a great Batman cover by Jay Lee, where uh, Batman is like frozen on a ledge and uh, freezes behind him about to shatter him with like a chisel and a hammer and he draws freeze with this sort of like kind of baggy suit and you know got, he's got like pipes and shit coming off him it's like a really cool uh, almost homemade looking freeze suit which yeah. I kind of feel like is the way to go because yeah 
he shouldn't he shouldn't feel super high tech i don't think it. i i like it more like if he built that shit in his basement or something yeah i agree with you i think slick is not the right way to go and it's it's so saturated um when i was i actually was redesigning him last week and i went in the exact opposite direction just because i was tired of all this futuristic shit people do with him i made him based off of 1910 diver like copper equipment pipes old brass uh butterfly yeah. nuts shit like that yeah that's exactly what i'm talking about yeah 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 it was, I, what was that video game where you're basically like a scuba oh uh bioshock i think yeah kind of yeah. like a bioshock vibe to him yeah uh, and, and I'm, I, not, I'm not sure what i'm going to color him I, I might go with like brass and copper with black of course but that uh, would be real interesting because i think generally he's just like shades of blue yeah yeah well that's the fun thing about doing this stuff is i'm finding so many things that other artists have not done for years like yeah. everyone just tends to go futuristic i think fallback for comic artists is make it futury i don't think many people think to go backwards and invent off of that other than like mike mignola or or whatnot you know right unless that's like the point of the book you know like of course gotham yeah. by gaslight kind of thing yeah generally you're right yeah yeah, yeah. i and, and what do you think of his look in this in this sh- this episode it's a Mignola design. Oh, is it real? Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks great. I don't love the purple gloves. I, that's the same thing I was going to say. The purple <laughs> gloves and the purple boots are the only thing I don't like. Yeah, it's funny. So uh, season four, I think he looks the best, even though I don't like how he's written. Um, but they, they lose the goggles, which I hate. Yeah, I love the goggles. Yeah. And the shot of Freeze coming out, maybe it's the next episode he's in. Where he comes through a door and it's just the red goggles and he shoots right at the camera and there's yep. this spiral effect. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Freeze, great villain. Yep. So, uh, I <sighs> so think we... Oh, we draw? one oh, thing, uh, one more thing I want to talk about. Great part about this episode. Super tightly written. Yeah. Uh, the chicken soup gag. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Really, do really you, good. Do you think that it's actually the soup or it's just hot water? I mean, soup is basically just hot water. <laughs> right. But do you think there's something actually about soup that worked, or do you think it's... Oh, no, it's just what he had on him. I but think the I... fact that Freeze can be defeated by a hot cup of coffee <laughs> seems a little weak. <laughs> Although, I, po- poetically, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little... Yeah, I, I, I chalk it up to uh, um, Mr. Freeze not working through that eventuality. <laughs> you... You think you know how when you cook there's certain kinds of glass pots you can heat up and yep. other kinds you can't. What is it called? The kind that you can heat up? Oh, like, I, te- I don't remember, te- but I know like, what you're talking about. Te- like Tempur-Pedic or whatever. Yep. <laughs> you, you think he would have used that glass? Yeah, especially <laughs> especially being a scientist who probably uses that shit like in beakers and Bunsen burners yeah. and all that kind of crap. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's really well done because it's such a throwaway thing uh, in the episode yeah. where Alfred hands him the soup. And yeah. it's just like a joke. I mean, another thing, I love that he's sick in this episode. I love that yeah, the, the sniff is great. Yeah, whole... anything that makes the char- makes the hero have a tougher time, I'm always behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I gotta say, Batman's equipment that can take four objects and put them together into any weapon you want is pretty <laughs> handy. <laughs> That's true. That is a very handy function of the Bat computer. Uh, but yeah, to have that that throwaway soup thing uh, come back and be the the key to defeating freeze and it's like right. it's not even like that's done in such a way where it doesn't feel like it's telegraphed too much right because uh it's not like he's he thinks ahead in order to do that clearly that was just right he just did that in the moment and it just happened right. to work 
It's funny how he's carrying Alfred's soup around in all these fight scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that really skinny utility belt. He's got it in. He keeps it in the backpack he wears under his cape. No, they're in one of his creepy watch pockets or whatever. <laughs> what would you would you have less respect for Batman if at the beginning of every fight he had to say hold on and then he hunched down and pulled a backpack off like he was in fifth grade and had to like <laughs> dig through his bag for whatever he needed to use for the fight? The kind of backpack where when you like turn you knock people over yeah. behind you. It's like a it's a Jan Sport bag with his initials on it. <laughs> Wait a minute, DW, uh, you're not Bruce Wayne, are you? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> he's got a foot and a half backpack sticking off his back i always hated those kids use your fucking locker yeah yeah i was one of those kids and for a while until i realized that until i got my classes in the right order where i could just dump everything off yeah oh, well, i'm boy. glad we didn't meet back then because yeah I don't know if our friendship would have lasted <laughs> i would have written awful things in your yearbook I would have remembered your name because of your stupid three initials on the back of your Jansport. <laughs> hey, it was an L.L. Bean, okay? That shit Ooh. has a lifetime warranty. <laughs> Unlike our friendship. Mm. Um, so if you were going to redraw a scene or if you wanted to embellish a scene in comic form, what would you do? Okay, I got a good one for this one. Uh, so the scene where Freeze confronts uh, Ferris, Bo- Ferris Boyle? Boyle, Boyle, whatever his first name is. Ferris Bueller. Yeah, when he confronts Ferris Bueller. um, (laughs) And he starts shooting him with the ice. Hmm. I had in my head, uh, because he doesn't know exactly who Mr. Freeze is, even though it should be obvious. But Boyle doesn't. It's one of those things where he's like, who the hell are you? And, you know, he says, I'm the the husband of a murdered wife or something like that. Right. Um, I had the idea of. If no, you... that's, gl- that's Gladiator you just quoted. <laughs> well, whatever. Same, same thing. All right. <clears throat> Basically the same story. If, if in Gladiator, Russell Crowe was made out of ice, it would be the same story. Uh, so uh, I had this, this idea of do, drawing that scene where you slow time down. So as he's shooting him with the ice, as the ice is crawling up Boyle's body, he's you're seeing Boyle figure out what had ha- who this guy is and why this is happening so he's basically uh piecing through the awful thing that he did to this guy as he's slowly right. being killed by ice i thought that would be right. pretty cool yeah and you could show like the last scene is, is a close-up of his eye and then his eye fills with ice and then it pops yeah <laughs> but it might, might be a little bit dark for the kids but, yeah just, uh... just a hair <laughs> But um, I, I thought I, I just thought that would be kind of cool. It'd be uh, it, it would be an interesting uh, 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 dramatic thing yeah. to to do visually, which I think would be you could do it in a comic. I don't know how easily you could do it in a uh, in a in a show. Yeah, you know that would be a better way to frame this question because I know this is like a theme that that we do. Uh, what would you do in a comic that you wouldn't be able to pull off in a cartoon? That might be a good yeah. way to answer these. Um, my answer isn't that original. I just love the visual of him next to his wife kneeling down she's encased in her cage whatever mm-hmm. he's inside his helmet i think that that pretty much is the iconic uh, scene for me in fact uh if you last week i was drawing him and i had that that scene pop up where it's an intro to mr freeze and he's being helped by by bruce wayne so they're in a lab so it starts with freeze looking at his wife but i fucked up the panel because i drew so much more into it into the background that it takes away the focus of freeze and nora so I think I've got extra pages. I'm going to just do a, a splash page just of that moment, just to really twist the knife into readers' hearts. And oh, then, nice. 
because I, I don't like a reveal that's too cluttered like a good reveal has to be it has to obviously be more about the reveal and less about any mechanics happening in the background right well you you actually did a uh, I mean I've seen on the internet somewhere you did a, a Mr. Freeze like in a cell holding oh, yeah. yeah that's a nice piece oh yeah thanks man yeah, it was a while ago yeah I remember that one that was like 10 years ago now yeah well I mean clearly clearly that's the image that stuck with you obviously oh yeah <laughs> I thought you were gonna make a joke. Oh no, no! I mean, it's just it's it's the it's the image that sticks with everybody. I think you know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and I think in the next episode, was it this one where Batman walks away from Freeze and Freeze's cell is the only one lit and there's snow from inside the cell? Is that this one or the next one? Uh, this one ends with Freeze in the cell, like with the one tear coming down his face. Right, with the that's right, the dancing, um, the the trinket he has yep. of Nora. I, that's one I forgot to mention. Like that part of the visual, like oh my god, that was awesome. Oh yeah, I mean, because it's 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 a great way to uh, yeah. uh, illustrate yeah. the actual situation in a much more uh, yeah. com- compact fashion, <laughs> instead Dude, of just like... him hugging a giant frozen tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this this whole episode is just dripping with symbolism. Yeah, maybe to the point where it may be a bit too on the nose, but fuck it, I, I love looking at it. Yeah, I mean it's it's I, I, we should I, probably just go to stars because it's it's five it's a five for me. Do they do they sell a snow globe with Nora in it, and then you have a little figure of Freeze outside the globe? Do oh, they I don't sell know. that? Wouldn't that, that be fucking awesome? Yeah, I wonder if anyone's ever done that as like a statue or something. That would be a great statue. If you had like a, a Mr. Yeah. Freeze statue where he's holding the 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 snow globe and the snow globe actually like turns inside it, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll draw it in the comic and show it to DC and see if I can get something going. Yeah, I'd love a free one. <laughs> there he is. There's the clay I know. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so you said five stars. I'm, I'm definitely going to go five on this as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we covered this pretty, pretty uh, uh, completely. I don't really know what what else there is to say. It's 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 the best one so far, and it's a pretty high bar moving forward. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. So that's gonna do it uh, for us this time. Next time we will be back with the Cat and the Claw Part One and Two, uh, which you know I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to watch again because I never really cared for the uh, the Red Claw character. Uh, uh, oh yeah, um, Janeway. Oh, is that her? Yeah. Oh, no yeah. kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, well. And then after that, we've uh, we've got a couple co- good co- good ones coming up. We've got uh, Beware the Great Ghost coming up pretty Ooh, soon. Yeah. That's my, that might be my favorite from the series. And uh, Feet of <laughs> Feet of Clay is pretty pretty soon. So they're really they're really hitting their stride up at this point. So yeah. But anyway, thanks for thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating or a review on iTunes, and uh, we will see you next time with Cat in the Claw. See you later, everybody. I think we're dying.